0: The Sticks and Blades podcast is also brought to you by Vulpus Training. Vulpus Training is the home of some of the best training blades on the market. All of their blades are handcrafted. This means no CNC machines, water jets, or laser cuttings are used to manufacture their blades. All of their blades are hand ground on a belt sander freehand like a real blade. They offer 41 different blade designs, everything from traditional Filipino long blades, Tomahawks, short everyday carry blades. Vulpus Training has you covered for all your training blade needs. I recently received their Talibong with a handguard that I'm actually holding my hand right now as we speak. And the handguard is actually big enough to fit a hockey glove through, guys, which means it's ideal for sparring. And the weight and the balance of the blade is pretty amazing. So to order, check them out on Facebook or Instagram at Vulpus Training. That's Vulpes, V-U-L-P-E-S, training, Vulpes training. Welcome to another episode of the Sticks and Blades podcast. I'm your host, Doug Marsh, and my guest today, he was a private student of the late Grandmaster Angel Cabalas of Serrata Escrima system, and also he's responsible for helping to spread the Serrata Screama art all around the world. Welcome to the show, Senior Grandmaster D. How are you doing today, sir?
1: I'm doing very well, and uh, happy Father's Day. I know there's a lot of fathers out there, so I want to give a shout out to all the fathers.
0: Yeah. Happy Father's Day to you as well. And um, we were talking earlier, you said that you recently became a (laughs) great-grandfather.
1: That's true. Yes. Uh, Somewhat down in the Odessa, Texas territory, uh, my eldest son, uh, who also holds a master's degree, uh, basically uh, had his children uh, train and those children are now training those little great-grandkids now. So, The legacy
0: continues. That's what it's all about, right? Yes, sir. So so what I like to do with the guests before anything is just to get a status check, because I know that, uh, you know, 2020 for the whole world, it was crap. You know, people got sick, Uh, people lost their lives and things like that. So if there's one thing you could take from 2020, what is it?
1: You know, I was able to really sit down and focus upon mucho, uh, just endless material uh, about my journey uh, within the world of martial arts starting when I was 15 years old. And, you know, I've always been an archiver uh, as, as far as documenting information. I wrote my first book when I was in the fifth grade. I was called Dr. Leakey and the Dawn Man. And I've been documenting my journey ever since. So uh, make a long story short, um, you know, I was able to put a book together called Escrima Simplified, a fundamental guide for self-defense. And what that does is it takes all of those years of accumulative art uh, and, and knowledge and puts it into a capsule to where you can pick this information up very simply. And that's what it's all about. Uh, Angel Kobalas was that way. Uh, he felt like, you know, we don't have time Uh, to try to work this situation out to where it's going to take you three to four to five years to understand what I'm trying to uh, basically transition over to you. And so that is the focus of the book. And that's what I did in 2020.
0: That's awesome. You know, a lot of people, they wasted time in 2020. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they let the circumstances kind of dictate everything that was going on in their lives. And there were some people that just pushed through and got things accomplished. And sounds like you're one of those people.
1: You know, we, we, we have to be those trailblazers uh, because, you know, we, you know, I have something coming out real soon. It's called the last Manon's, uh, or the last masters uh, or master graduates or students of the late great grandmaster, Angel Caballus. And, we are the last ones. You know, my generation was great grandmaster Angel Kobalasis. I think, most formidable generation, not putting the former generations down, but Angel really laid it out in that last generation, starting when I came on board in 1984. And, and that's why I say we're the trailblazers and we have to be representatives of those who are within the other generations that have come along. And, and that's my major commission right now. I'm sharing information at will.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So you said you started with, uh, with Angel back in 1984, but prior to that, were you doing any martial arts? Oh,
1: most definitely. Yeah, I, I, I started teaching at the age of 17 and the system was a conglomerate, conglomerative affair, put it that way. Um, it was based and rooted in the system of Kaju Kimbo, first of all. And from that concept, I was able to incorporate and to learn boxing techniques that later became kickboxing, full contact kickboxing. Um, and so my system was a Kaju kimbo based system and it was a full contact system. And it was predominantly based upon uh, practical martial arts and self-defense. That was the primary focus at that time. So you're talking maybe, you know, 15 years prior to meeting Angel.
0: Okay. So we're talking 19, was that 69? Oh, uh, well, let's not go back that far.
1: Uh, let's, <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's cut some of that fat off. Let's say <laughs> I started in 1972.
0: 72. Okay.
1: Yeah. There you go. And then from that point forward, um, open up several institution or schools um, based on the Kaiju Kimball system. Um, uh, but all the way up into that point, um, I still had a strong foundation within the art of combat. And so that was our connection, you know, 84, I was looking for a practical weapons, uh, methodology of self-defense. I had all the other stuff, you know, I competed in tournaments, so forth, did the Katas and you know kumites and everything street fights you know you put it all together but the thing was was i didn't have a practical weapons system of martial arts that fitted within today's age and that was my basic attraction uh to the kabbalah system
0: i'm sorry about that i I hit a mute button sorry folks (laughs) but um when you uh, met Angel, how did that come about?
1: That came about by promoting a third seminar on behalf of the legendary Dan Santo. I had dealt with uh, business wise Danny back in Cleveland, Ohio, as far back as 1980. Uh, we were the first uh, and I was running a Kajukimbo Kimball school out there, too, as well. But make a long story short. Um, for promotional purposes, we wanted to bring something in uh, that the circle of martial artists within the state of Ohio would recognize. And so our Kaju Kimball School was pretty, pretty young and pretty new at the time. And to make a long story short, I, I shot a call out to the uh, Torrance Kali Academy uh, back in that time period. And Lord and behold, Dan Enosanto answered the phone. And, and I told him what was up, you know, we're, we're trying to spread the Kaiju Kimbo art out here uh, in the state of Ohio, and we're having trouble, you know, as far as uh, valid, validation is concerned, because you have a clique here in the state of Ohio. And he said, you know what, he said, we're trying to uh, promote Jeet Kune do and the art of Kali, and it's very difficult for us to do too, because we're competing with all of the other. Uh, established systems of martial arts. And so it would be a pleasure to be able to come out uh, to the Midwest and establish the Kali Kundo system. And that's how I first met Dan Inosanto. From there, it trickled into 1983, going back into the state of California and producing another formidable Dan Inosanto. Uh, but this time uh, Ted Lucai Lucai workshop. So they co opt together on this workshop in uh, Northern California. And then from there, we propagated another workshop in the city of San Francisco. And that was gonna take place in 1984. Uh, But the problem was, was Dan Inosanto became ill uh, in the city of Chicago. I guess he was doing a workshop out there for Grandmaster Fred Digerberg. So I got a call. Uh, from cas Magda of all people i've dealt with him before and uh, basically he said danny was sick and he wouldn't be able to make the workshop now this was three days before the workshop was supposed to manifest wow. and so <laughs> i'm in a trick bag now i'm like oh my goodness that you know they're gonna look at me like i'm some kind of a charlatan i've already you know sold over a hundred tickets uh, everybody knows that Danny Osanto was connected with the legendary Bruce Lee. And that was one of my selling points, of course. And so we had a lot of people coming to that workshop. And so, uh, of course, uh, Cass Magda, Guru Cass Magda, said that Danny Inosanto, uh appointed him to take his place. I said, well, you know, not taking anything away from your you know, ability uh, within the arts of Jeet Kune Do or Kali. Uh, But the problem is, is that that is not the selling point of this workshop. You know, these people are coming in here predominantly because they know that uh, Mr. Inosanto has a connection with Bruce Lee. So I can't do that. I can't replace you with Danny. It has to be a a equivalent or major headliner. So we were stuck three days before the workshop. And so I got to flicking through a Bible. Uh, one of my old Bibles uh, my mother had given me and all of a sudden it just hit a page where it said angel and I thought about great grandmaster Angel Kubala. and I said wow I know that's one of the primary teachers of you know Dan Inosanto yeah. so if I could get him to replace that workshop that would set it off so how to get in contact uh, I had the legendary Rene LaTosa at that 1983 workshop. And we had a strong conversation. And he told me, Look, if you really want to learn Escrima and, and what the Filipino martial arts are really all about, you're only like uh, 35, 45 minutes away from Angel Cabalas. He is also the teacher of Danny Osanto, Richard Bastillo, Ted Lucai Lucai. That is where they got their driver's license from to be able to officially be able to teach Filipino martial arts so you can cut through the chase. Now, I always remembered that uh, from the 83 workshop. And so because of my allegiance and loyalty at that point in time with dealing with Dan Inosanto, I didn't take that ride. In other words, I. but in this situation, going back to 84, I said, you know what? I'm going to give uh, Grandmaster LaTosa a call. I called him up, asked him if he would take Danny's place. He said he would love to do it, but he couldn't because he had pre-engagements on that same day. He said, but here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to give you three Masters in Stockton, California's telephone numbers. Uh, Leo Hidon, Gilbert Tino, and Grandmaster Angel Cabalas. Those are said heavy hitters. Oh, my goodness. You're talking about a godsend at the last minute. <laughs> I called all three of those great masters up and I spoke with Leo hit on first and he told me he had pre engagements as well. Uh, then I called up uh, the late great grandmaster Gilbertino, and he jumped on board. He was like, I'd be more than happy to be there. Um, and then from there, I shot the call out to Angel Caballas. And I told him the whole story of what happened. And this is what he told me. He said, You know, um, the thing is, is that I'm the teacher of all of those people that you mentioned uh, Dan Inosanto, Richard Pastillo, uh, you know, and, you know, uh, not putting any of my students down, but I feel like I am the progenitor of Filipino martial arts in this country. And I have a strong obligation to represent Filipino martial arts. So I will take the place of Dan Enosanto, and I will be at that seminar. And wow. so, oh, man, I, tears flowed. Uh, and I asked him, I said, well, you know what, uh, Grandmaster Angel Caballus, if I uh, the, whatever I was going to pay Danny, I will pay you double. He said, you know what? Don't worry about the money. It's not about the money. It's about the pro, you know, the propriety of what it is that you're promoting in that area. That is top-notch priority, and so I will be there, and that's how that that started, and then from that point on, of course, we had disgruntled, some disgruntled participants because they were really looking forward to the Danny and Osanto connection, and, but I'll tell you this, once Angel Cabala started moving on that floor with his stick blazing with the speed of light, it changed all the trajectories. Of everybody's mind that had attended that workshop they had a totally different point of view they were mind blown and i was one of them (laughs) i found that mr miyagi that could teach me the essence of actual knife stick fighting and and in a practical way
0: yeah absolutely and you know, looking at a lot of the old tapes of Angel, he was just so explosive. I mean, just just quick yeah. as hell. And you know, wh- what was that like being out there with him? You know, the first time that you guys trained, your first formal class with him or private. Man, central. my
1: first—I feel you. My first formal class was a, a rude awakening. You know, because I thought I I was the shizmic, first of all, <laughs> and I knew. <laughs> I knew what I knew. <laughs> and so, you know, I mean, I think any fighter is that way. I think if you've been in any skirmishes at all, you know, you kind of you you know what impact is all about. And so, you know, I came in there as a as a somewhat of a fighter and a, and a teacher in my own right. But most of the uh, stick knife uh, knowledge that I had learned. I had picked up from Dan Inosanto, uh, as well as Ted Lukai Lukai in those prior workshops. You know, I film everything I'm an archiver. And, and so I keep knowledge as far back as that time period. And that is for uh, a teacher's uh, edification because I have to pass that knowledge on to my students, you know, and so make a long story short, uh, When I first uh, had my first class in Stockton, California, with Angel Cabalas, he was very, very humble, mild mannered, and he said, "You know, show me what you know. You know, I'm going to give you a number one strike." And, you know, I did it. It was beautiful. You know, and I have a video that shows what I did uh, out there on YouTube. But the thing was, was it was nice and flowmatic. It was fancy, and 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 it was very combative. And and this is what Angel told me. He said, "You know." It, it, it's very nice looking, it's fancy. He said, but I'm going to tell you right now, it's too much movement. And <laughs> and the thing is, is that when it comes to real combat, I, I'm going to hit you at least six, seven times before you can pull your hand back because you're telegraphing everything that you're doing. I was like, wow, okay, <laughs> I got you. And and that was my first lesson with him. And And this is why he told me that he had converted uh, to the 18 to the 21 inch long stick. He said, because number one, for the street, it's very unrevealing. You could slip it into your, you know, your arm sleeve, your jacket. Nobody's really gonna think too much about it because it's small and it does not look intimidating. He said, but think about it. A boxer uses his gloves as his primary weapons. So really it's your hand as an extension so he told me that's already your largo mono, your long stick method you got 18 inches don't you think that's long enough <laughs> so all yeah. this he was breaking down to me you know practicality stuff you know like you know I asked him how do you, I had a butterfly knife uh the double bladed you know the knife that has the two handles in the middle we call it Song or the butterfly knife. So I'm spinning that thing around. It's all fancy and stuff. And then I asked, uh, the late great grandmaster Angel Caballus, are you familiar with the Bali song? And he said, Oh yeah. I said, well, how do you work it? You know what he did? He opened it up, put it in the hinge and said, now it's a knife. That's how I use it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> no fancy
1: stuff, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah. And a lot of times, you know, us in the West, we kind of romanticize some things. Like I know of a guy that's out there. um, I'm not going to say his name, but he had contacted me one time and he's like, well, do you do Bali song? I'm like, no, I don't do Bali song. I mean, not Uh because I don't understand openings or anything, but to me, it it just like what, what uh, master Kabbalist did. It's a knife. (laughs) You know, once you, once you, once you open it, you know, that's how you use it. All the other stuff is just for show. It's pretty, you know?
1: Accolades. Yep. yes and and, <laughs> and and you know uh kabalas he never put anything down he just said you know that's good for eye hand coordination he said exactly. that's real you know it teaches you how to manipulate both sides of your body he said but you know when it comes down to straight up combat you're in the street something happens right away you just don't have time to do all those things so you better open it up shut it down and get ready <laughs> so That was his philosophy. You know, one of his other philosophies that kind of really still cracks me up is is I asked him, I said, well, you know, Kabbalah's Grandmaster, if you get into an altercation or the altercations that you have gotten into, you know, how have you handled those situations? And, you know, he told me, he said, you know, when I was younger, you don't want to know me either. (laughs) And I said, Why? (laughs) He said, because I don't like you either. I was like, oh, my goodness. I said, you were a card when you were younger, huh, uh, Angel? He said, you know, it's not that. It's just I don't trust nobody, you know? He said, and, you know, I uh, came up uh, the hard way from Manila, you know, to, to all the different places I've gone to. And everywhere I go, you know, I always got to keep one eye open. You know, so (laughs) that was his concept is that and also his concept was that if they don't hit me, I hit them. You know, and and the thing is, is he felt like once a confrontation had started, it wasn't about the physical part. It was it was about what had been said and how it had been said. And as far as he was concerned, if he hit you before you hit him, that's the way it was going to go down.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. So with uh, Serata, I mean, you already mentioned it with the shorter stick and everything like that. But the art, a lot of times, is just viewed as as this short stick art. I mean, from the outsider's perspective, you know, so so what do you think are some of the misunderstandings about the art itself that people don't know?
1: You know, that's a very, very good question, because it's it's one of the questions that I also, um, you know, asked Angel Cabalas about, you know, about, you know, what are the different aspects of the system? He said, see, I fought all of those fighters in the Philippines. Um, you know, you name it. He said Toledo, Toledo, all those systems, Malintawa. Uh, he said, you know, long stick, short stick, blade, knife, empty hand. It, it did not matter to me. He said, but the thing is, is that all of those systems are conglomerated within the serrata system of his screamer. He said, now there are things within the system that you're going to, as an individual, have to expand upon. I, w- I will lead you in the way of where to go in these numbers and, and, or directions of breaking it down because everything you do, again, with the blade and the stick, as you know, you can do empty-handed. So he had a strong grappling system But he had a system that was also called reversals, how to get out of those locks. And and that was an interesting story because um, he was able to lock up the great Toro Tanaka one time, uh, the gentleman who's played in so many movies. I'm sure you're familiar with Toro Tanaka, but he is also a jujitsu professor, expert in the art of jujitsu. And Angel was able to put a lock on him. He couldn't get out. And he was able to put a lock on Angel that he was able to get out of. So there's some prehistory and things about Angel that a lot of people are not aware of. But going back to your question, he said all of these things are interluded within the integral system and the nucleus of the kabbalah Serata system of the Screma. Uh One last statement, he also developed 33 positions or angles of attack and counterattack not just 12 he had 33.
0: Oh wow you know so when you were coming up you know you started learning from Angel in 84 you know who are some of your contemporaries that we would know that were in there at the same time that you were?
1: Most definitely you know uh, and great contemporaries at that um you know we had Ron uh Grandmaster Ron Saturnal was on board initially uh, when we first uh, integrated Angels Association with my Northern California colleague, uh, Escrima Association, uh, we created an alliance. And we did an instrumental tournament demonstration at one of Grandmaster Max Palin's tournaments in um, the central part of NorCal, California. And Angels guys went out there first, and it was composed of his demo team. Uh, Professor Sultan uh aka Kimball Joyce. Uh now he's Sotan Uding. Uh so you gotta remember that every time I call him Sultan, because that's how I remember him as as Kimball, uh he gets a little irritated about that. <laughs> so I respect yeah. that. But uh Sultan udin Kimball Joyce, Ron Saturnal. Uh we had Gabe, Grandmaster Gabe Assantion was one of my contemporaries uh great grandma uh, well i'm gonna call him great grandmaster uh uh but uh jimmy takosa uh was a contemporary at the time but he was out there kind of entrepreneur in the arts too uh doing things in southern california hollywood etc chicago spreading the art on angels behalf uh you had other contemporaries like um grandmaster Carlito Bonjocks Um, just, just an array of great people, man. I mean, they were all my contemporaries. Uh, the only thing that distinctified, uh, my training with their training is mine was strictly private. I would go to the Academy sometimes, but you know, that's how I know all of these gentlemen. And sometimes they would be at Angel's home, but strictly independent private training with Angel. And so we were all contemporaries. But going back to the Max Palin tournament, that was our official integration announcement that Kabbalah Association was integrating with my association that was based out of San Francisco, California at the time.
0: Yeah. So you're a private student of, of, of Angel. That's awesome. You know, when I seek people out to train, sometimes Sometimes I'll do a seminar, you know, just to see what it's like. And if they're doing something that I really like instead of, you know, going to conferences and things like that, I'd rather meet with the person one on one because it seems
1: like.
0: Yeah, it seems like you get something totally different from them, you know, to where they kind of tailor tailor make material for you versus just getting the stuff that they throw out to everybody and you get the best stories as well.
1: (laughs) Yes, sir. You know, we call that. uh, uh, What's that old saying? The cookie cookie sheet mythology. You know, you're 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 on that uh, entrepreneur move. Uh, You know, the great uh, legendary Danny Osanto is a great, um, you know, exemplar or or exemplary figure in terms of really getting FMA out there in a massive level all over the world. Uh, That was one of my attractions to him. Is, is because, and, and then learning more about his background and finding out that he was one of Ed Parker's, the legendary uh, great grandmaster Ed Parker's top students and administrators, it dawned mm-hmm. upon me why Bruce Lee may have picked him to do that type of work because as a former education teacher, history teacher, he had a great sense of organization. And and you know at that time jikundo was pretty much free food. You know, right. there was no particular direction that you could take it in. And and then another thing I discovered was that Jikundo is more of a philosophy and an application of thought. And and whoever can assess that way of thinking can apply that that concept of thinking in any, you know, kind of direction, whether it's MMA or or, or it's a screamer or or is, or is kickboxing, these are concepts. And and then to find out that they were more concept based, it dawned upon me that the nucleus of jeet kune do in essence, between uh those who have researched it was the Kabbalah Serrata system of Iskrima. Because you have the Wing Chun close type method within Serrata Escrima. And as Angels had told me in the beginning, you can find all those things within the Kabbalah Sarada system of the schema. So it's interesting how they applied the physical aspects by way of FMA in order to exemplify what Jeet Kune Do was all about. Many say that's Danny's Jeet Kune Do. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Jesse Glover has a different concept. <laughs> you know, I've talked with him much too.
0: Let's talk about him real quick. Now that's somebody that, you know, in Jeet Kune Kundo's circles, he really doesn't get talked about too much. You know, yeah. You you hear uh Taki Kimura, who just recently passed away. Uh yes. of course you hear right. about Guru yes. you hear about uh Guru Dan all the time. And yes, and then there's one or two other guys, I believe, like Tim Tackett's another one. But Jesse Glover, he just kind of flies under the radar. Why do you think that is?
1: You know, uh, today, you know, versus, uh, let's say, going back to the 70s and and especially back to the to the mid 60s, where, you know, as African-Americans and, and so forth going through the struggles, uh, but on all levels, you know, for uh equality. Uh, within the criminal justice system. It was a lot of stuff going on during Jesse's day. And, and and the thing is, is I got a chance to actually just look at him face to face. And he was visiting the great professor uh, Wally J at the time. Yeah. And I, I got a call and, you know, that Jesse Glover's in town and I've always been a big fan of his. And, and, and I know the history and, and to meet him face to face, was was going to be a monumental historical experience and so we rolled on up to the bay uh to berkeley uh and brought him to one of my students homes um jeff Stickman finder and jeff was one of my top-notch uh representatives at the time and so we had jesse over there and he had another gentleman that was there with him i don't know who he was but i guess they were out, he was out of seattle too um but make a long story short, you know, he, uh, we got the talking like we're talking. And and I asked him several questions like, you know, what was Bruce Lee like, you know, when you first came in contact with him? And he, you know, Jesse had this funny laugh. <laughs> you know, kind of <laughs> remind me of an old uncle looking at you, you know. <laughs> right, like, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Watch him, George. He's going to fall off the side of the porch in a minute. <laughs> but that's how Jesse Glover was. Mentality was he was really laid back, and he demonstrated the one inch, the three inch, and and different type of punches for us uh, that he had learned directly from Bruce Lee. But going back to the question of how was Bruce Lee? Uh, somehow, me and this guy that came in from Seattle with him, we just we just couldn't click, and 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 it just came down to a, let's just take it out to the backyard. here goes jesse glover (laughs) you know and 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 i looked at jesse a great grandmaster jesse glover and i said what you laughing about he said you know he said because he said you remind me a lot of bruce lee when he was young (laughs) and so that that was my experience with him and and he told many stories and going back to your primary question you know why is it that You know, he has been somewhat uh, downplayed, um, you know, to the point to where people don't acknowledge the fact that the first good friend and first student of Bruce Lee was Jesse Glover. Jesse Glover is the one who introduced him to people like Taki Kimura and, and all the other, you know, high profile. Jesse Glover is the one who hooked bruce lee up with the great legendary small circle jujitsu founder professor wally jay because jesse glover was already a judo aficionado at the time so he knew people like wally jay personally and he also knew the late great james m lee and that's how bruce lee got the oakland connection is by way of jesse glover so you know in 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 our archives He is highly elevated we put him at the top of the scale we don't put danny up there we put we put jesse glover up there
0: yeah which would make sense i mean he spent a lot of time you know with bruce especially in the early days you know i've seen some tape of jesse and it just seems like he was very methodical like his
1: Mm -hmm.
0: talent like talent talent wise not as flashy but you could tell that he could whoop some ass. That he really understood. <laughs> <laughs> he really understood using minimum energy for maximum effect. <laughs> he understood the that, most too. definitely.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, Jesse was was smooth like that. You know, he was kind of un- uh, unassuming too. You know, he, like I said, he looked like somebody's uncle. You know, yeah, he looked looked
0: like a nerd. Yeah,
1: yeah, just laid a, back, a big buff know? nerd. <laughs> And, and then as soon as he exploded with that one-inch punch, oh, my goodness. You know, I, I, I'm i not a silly instructor. I let my students get hit with that punch. And I already did. knew what was coming. But he sent one of them way across the living room. <laughs> but he put the telephone book up there, you know, for protection. And, and that's how he said he learned that one-inch punch from Bruce Lee. But also, Jesse Glover was telling me, that Bruce Lee had a strong, great affection for the African-American community as well because he said that he could relate to that type of oppression or systemic uh, racism uh, coming out of Hong Kong. Uh, Because as you know, the British controlled Hong Kong for hundreds of years. And and the thing is, is that they treated the Chinese uh, people um, much like they treat African-Americans in the United States. And so, you know, Bruce Lee had, uh, according to Jesse Glover, a, a kinship uh, with that feeling and he could relate. And and that is why even when he opened up his school in Oakland, California, he had many African-American students that we don't hear about, but, the, yeah. but they were there. They were there. How are you going to go through Oakland, California, And and locate your school on a borderline. And and we know that Oakland is predominantly black in many of those areas and not have black students. And that was one of the altercations and the conflicts that he had with the Chinatown establishment in San
0: Francisco, California. They didn't like the fact that he was teaching non Chinese.
1: Yeah. You know, it wasn't so much the Caucasian persuasion, not taking anything away or, you know, Uh, trying to sound, uh, you know, uh, bipartisan or or partisan in that sense, but it's just the fact that he was empowering the Black community.
0: That makes sense. So even with Master Kabbalist, I remember when we first talked, you know, you were saying that he also had a strong connection, you know, to uh, the Black community, you know, in, in his area, and that, he, when he first got over here, that those were the black folks were like some of the first people to reach out to him and, and to kind of help him out. You, can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Oh, yeah. You know, and that is the similarity between uh, his mentality and, and Bruce Lee's mentality. I mean, because, I mean, like you can open up your school uh, in a very lucrative area, you know, wherever the money's at, you know, that's where people usually want to flow you know, they want to flow into those lucrative areas. And most of those areas at the time, you know, composed of those who basically, you know, had the more money to spend. But by opening up the schools in a sort of a great divide or a, you know, somewhat of a parameter where you have both East, West, North, South, that is how Bruce Lee and Angel Kobalis operated. Angel being from, at that at that particular point, from Stockton, California, uh, you know, there's a strong African community there. A- and the thing is, is that he he could have been, he could have kept it, you know, strictly Filipino if that's what he chose to do. But because of his early experiences in America, uh, especially in Stockton, he said, you know, I was on Skid Row. You know, nothing to be proud about, but he said, I got my master's degree on the streets and that's just keeping it real. And and people like Ron Saturno and all those those greats that are out there, they will they will concur with what he said. Um because he said, you know, he he had to, you know, learn the language, uh, it was difficult, uh but he assimilated. But he said every time he needed real help, money or or any place to go, where do I go? What do I do? He said it was always the African-American community, the grassroots community that reached out to him and helped him along the way. So to this day, he has uh, black grandkids, you know, part, part Filipino, part African-American, African-American, Filipino uh, grandkids. Uh, and, and that's his statement right there, you know, that he was not a type of person that would hold anything back from if he felt that you were there to really want to absorb what he had to teach you, he he would give it to you straight.
0: So at what point did, did he just kind of see that you weren't going anywhere and <laughs> that you, 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 pre he pretty much had you on the hook, had you addicted to his art. How long did it take for you to get to that point to build the relationship to that level?
1: Oh man, you know, that first day uh, of training for one thing, and and also what we talked about that day, uh, because Angel was, was somewhat distraught. Uh, he had had already uh, two former generations of students that had gone on to become very, very famous in their own rights. And, and he was happy for them. But the thing was, was that they kind of left him behind. And wow. and and so in 1984, that was his, um, you know, his his commission was to create a whole new generation of excrementors. And, and I was right there, right at the crux, because, see, Angel's problem uh, was a communication problem, not an art problem. Like, if you saw him uh, demonstrate his art, he would tell you everything you need to know. But if you ask him to articulate it, that was a whole different story. And so... He had formerly different people that were working in his behalf, Uh, the great Mike and I, uh, the great legendary Danny and Osanto. They were all under his wing at the time, but they decided that they wanted to formulate a new federation known as the West Coast Escrima Society. And what they wanted to do was to vote a grandmaster status of different people every so often. And and Angel just was not, with. he just couldn't concur with that. You know, he was like, wait a minute. I already have my own association called the Kabbalist Association of America. All of you guys are my students. How are you going to vote me out of my position when I'm the grandmaster who taught you? (laughs) So they discarded him. You know, they went on to, you know, do division that they all uh, had conglomerated uh, together. Uh, Mike and I went on board with Danny and Osanto because they had the Jeet Kune Do connection and, and they had control uh, in certain ways of the media's uh, attention. And so they deferred uh, over to uh, that particular um, regime. And Angel was very hurt about that. So when I uh, came in contact with him and we did that workshop in 84 and, and I was hungry, you know, I wanted to learn. And and I felt like, hey, you know, I'm not going to be able to to really extract this type of information out of uh, Guru Danny and Osanto due to the fact that, you know, he has uh, hundreds of associative uh, instructors. So I would just be one out of many. You know, that's just not my character. You know, <laughs> that's what I've been a teacher for many years. So, you know, my major interest is to be able to extract information so that I can continue that information on to my students.
0: Yeah, you know, from a source, right. from, from an actual source.
1: source. Exactly. And, and so that was our, our connection. Angel's connection was that, you know, I want to build a new community of discriminators my way. I'm going to be in control of it. I will be the nucleus. Uh, but what I want you to do, uh, GMD, is to speak on my behalf, become my partner take my art all over the world. And that's exactly what I did. I was born in Augsburg, Germany, and and I always wanted to go back to the old country. And, and I told Angel, I said, you know what, Angel? I said, here's part of your problem. I said, because I've been doing martial arts for many years. And, and within the Okinawan, Japanese, Korean systems, they have a rank and a foul. And, and, and it is very strict and very disciplinary. And I said, here's what's going on with you. You're promoting all your students to the level of master status. You call yourself a master, which you are. But once you elevate your students to the same level that you're on, they're going to start to get haunty. They're going to get egotistical. They're going to start thinking they're better than you because, number one, it's a status thing. And I said, unfortunately, in the West, it's all about that paper. Yeah, and, and so, you know, he listened to me and he said, but what am I, what, what can I do about that? I said, well, what, what needs to be done is your status needs to be elevated to grandmaster. And so that's what my association did on his behalf. I said, you know, you have to have someone else to acknowledge you in that position. And I know who you are. I said, so what we're going to do from my Northern California colleague Escrima Association, we're going to elevate you officially to the status of Grandmaster. We did that in San Francisco, California. We had uh, the Hanshi Jim Mather attended that affair. Uh, we have the pictures out there too of that. And and and, and Inside Kung Fu covered the event. And, and that's how his title, um, you know, changed it from from master uh, to grandmaster. Wow. And that's why we're in a position today, uh, based on my organizations, uh, the World Serata Escrima Federation, as well as the NORF organization, the United World Serata Escrima Federation. This is why people like Grandmaster Ron saturno Grandmaster Darren Tamag, uh, and many other grandmasters outside the Serata fold have accepted our honorary grandmaster's degrees, because they know that Angel Kabbalah was the first to accept it. And if your teacher accepted an degree uh, or a degree, rather, from you, and, and you were at the time an underling somewhat, brown belt, green belt, whatever, you would take that degree also, if I'm not mistaken, because your teacher did. Right, and that is our legacy with giving out the honorary degrees.
0: Well, I'm, I'm gonna circle back to something you had said that was kind of interesting. You said that his problem was uh, pretty much articulation. You know, so yes. when um, you look at some of the the old timers, and one I can think of in particular uh, is uh, Antonio Illustrissimo, so Tatang Illustrissimo, yeah. who I've, who I've talked about a whole lot on this show, and. Mm-hmm. And the legend has it that basically, like when Tony Diego and all those guys came out to train with him, that he didn't necessarily have a formal system. He just had a way that he moved. And yeah. and he would be like, you know, they would they would ask him, well, what would you do if you did this or if I did this to you? And he would respond. And those people were the ones that were responsible for putting together a formal system of Illustrisimo. So even mm-hmm. if you look, if you look at that, that lineage you have like maybe three or four different ways of doing it because there's three or four different ways that these people had interpreted the art. Uh, Is that when, when you were saying articulation, is that the type of thing to where he didn't necessarily have a formal system, but he just had concepts that like he was really good at, but somebody had to come along and kind of piece things together to make it a whole system.
1: Yeah. I think like that he came from that generation uh, where, you know, Transitioning into the West um, that you know being able uh not just the his curriculum because he had a curriculum you know numbers from one to twelve, and then he had the breakdown programs within those numbers, but you know Mike and i uh, Grant, the late grandmaster Mike and I was really responsible uh for putting that curriculum together for him uh the diplomas, the first degrees that's all Mike and I that was his administrator at that time okay that so makes he, sense so he he needed people to to put the structure together because see when um great grandmaster max Sarmiento, his buddy uh, that was his close friend too um told him you know what angel if you want to you know really set yourself up um as a viable business in america why don't you start teaching and swing <laughs> and then angel was telling Told Max Armiento, and Angel told me these stories. He said, "How you gonna teach how to kill somebody? <laughs> 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 you know, yeah. How you put that? How do you put that in a structure?" <laughs> so that's that's when Max Armiento began to teach. Uh, you know, go and check out another great legendary martial artist because they were all teaching out of the same establishment called Gong Lee's. And that was the legendary kung fu uh, great grandmaster Leo Fong, because mm. Leo Fong had classes going on at the same time, but they had different days. And so <laughs> Sarmiento would come into to Leo Fong's classes, and he would just sit there and he would watch. And and basically one day, I guess, uh, Grandmaster Fong went up to uh, Max Sarmiento and he introduced himself and da 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 da. And and then he said, well, you know, I've been noticing you coming into the classes. And that's when he told him about Angel Caballus. And and Leo had heard rumors about Angel Caballus. And so he wanted to meet. And basically, that's where some of the first formulation of the structure came into play. Also, because Leo Fong befriended Angel Cabalas, and they became contemporaries. To the extent to where Leo Fong put Angel in one of his first movies, uh, which initially was titled Tiger's Revenge.
0: Okay, well, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask this. And I know that the people listening or that will listen to this episode, um, they'll be like, how come you didn't ask this question about Angel? But uh, the legend has it, you know, one of the reasons he left the Philippines is because he was involved in this death match or something, something of that nature did he ever talk about you know his his uh, fights over in the philippines or the fights he's had on the ship coming over uh, from the philippines to the u.s
1: oh most definitely you know angel was a man of his word and you know uh for his lack of articulation he was a great demonstrator of how he took different people out of box too and and one story uh that you know he always liked to talk about uh, especially with me was the the girl, uh, the young lady that he, he was very attracted to and had become his girlfriend in a certain province uh, in the central uh, southern close to the southern border of the Philippines. and he said that you know he would visit her from time to time because he was working the Manila docks and, and he was uh, a merchant type of marine individual. He worked on the ships and those ships went different places but he said, Every time those ships docked, he would go down there uh, to that part of the Philippines and visit his girlfriend, he said. But this time uh, on his way to the village um, to see her, he was met by some of the village uh, men who explained to him that, you know, you can't come to the village to see your girlfriend anymore because the shaman of the village has said that anybody that tries to come uh, into the village and defile any women in the village, He's going to basically kill them by way of his unting, unting, which is another uh, way of saying his strong, magical power. <laughs> right. And Angel, <laughs> and, and Angel, he was not to be thwarted from his mission. So he told those individuals, he said, well, you know, whatever, he said. But, you know, I will take my chances. So he continued on down the pathway and he was met uh, by the shaman. Or who explained to him that if you come any further, I will kill you with my power of the Anting Anting. So at that point, Angel said, I whipped out my stick and I hit him with a number two strike. And I hit him on the top of his head and basically knocked him out cold. <laughs> and then he, <laughs> he looked down at him and he said, where's your Anting Anting now? <laughs> How come your Anting Anting couldn't block my stick? <laughs> and so He continued on to the village. But he said that was one of his opponents that survived. He didn't kill him. He said, but he has been in life and death encounters uh, many times. He said, because uh, in Manila and other places in the Philippines, it's all about that blade. Uh, and he talked about a story about his teacher, uh, the legendary Felicis of He said, one day we were at a one of the bars in, in the Philippines, you know, one of the pubs, and we were drinking and all of a sudden, Deeson looked at me and he said, "Somebody's going to come in here within an approximate amount of time and they're going to try to stab me in my left side of my kidney, uh, the left kidney of my body. And Angel looked at his teacher and he said, you know, first, uh, I thought he was just drinking too much, you know, <laughs> you know, we, <laughs> we were drinking. <laughs> so <laughs> he was like, maybe he's hallucinating or something. He said, because, you know, Angel, he told me point blank. I don't believe in magic and things of that nature, he said. But when it comes to DeSong, he said, that's a whole nother story. And sure enough, he said about 30, 35, 30, 35 minutes later, this guy came into the bar. And sure enough, he tried to stab him in the very spot. And he said DeSong wrapped him up because that's what the quarters means. That's the original nucleus system of Sarada Escrima, the quarters. And he said he wrapped him up or roped him up around the arm and slammed him on the floor real hard. And the blade went one way and the guy went the other. He said d could do things like that. He said, but, you know, for him, his art was practical because that's the way his mind worked.
0: Yeah, and I think that's something that we miss here in the West. And, and, and what we miss is that we sometimes think that the system has to fit us versus us fitting the system. I don't know if that makes sense. You know, so, you know, so you might look at whatever art it is that you train as a blueprint, but ultimately, you know, as time goes on, your teachers pass, you know, you may not be in communication with some of the people that are prominent in the art and you're just there by yourself, you know? Mm -hmm. And, And at that point, that's where you just you start creating. You start seeing what actually works, what doesn't work. And not not necessarily from a combative standpoint only, but for you, the way that your mind works. You know, right. have you found yourself no. kind of expanding on the the Serata that that you initially learned from Angel?
1: Oh, most definitely. I have a student um, in southern Germany. Uh, her name is Petra Eichheit. Her thing was not so much the combative aspects uh, of Kali, Arniss, and, and Eskrima. Uh, but as a performer and an artist and a you know producer uh, of film, short documentary films, um, her interest was primarily in the artistic value of Kabbalah Serrata Eskrima. So I put her in one of my master programs Train her diligently in the arts. And what she was able to do was to transcend the combative aspects into the theatrical performing uh, performing aspects on stage. And, you know, she has credible productions to this day, uh, but she gives, you know, credibility to the kabbalah Serata system of Eskrima. So that is another aspect of this art. I, I've always considered... Serrata Escrima as a geometrical uh, type of art where there are no specific stop points. This is how you can get 33 numbers, you see. You can expand or you can decrease upon the art. It depends upon your character and where you want to take it. Uh, in this particular uh, instructor's case, it went into the direction of performance. Now, what you see is it is also uh, ingrained within the film industry, you know, all credibility due to Danny Osanto by way of Jeff Himada and those who follow through. And, and so we see this, you know, uh, the art has transcended in so many different directions. Uh, some of my students, they're not interested in the combative aspects of, of, of the art at all, but the more philosophical and the esoterical side of the art. And, and that's where we're able to go into other dimensions about the art, and that's why I say that the art of C.S.E. Kabbalah Surata Iskrima is is a uh, a thinking man's art, a thinking woman's art. It it is a Socratic type of art. You have to you know elaborate upon it. You have to digest it. You have to experience it. And 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 truly to be able to understand it, you need to be able to sit down, you know, with Yoda. Uh, the the nucleus of that art and extract as much of that information out of his mind, speaking of great grandmaster, Angel Caballus, as much as you can, you know, rather than just go sit down and learn the technical, physical, uh, combative aspects, my commission and goal was to understand this man's way of thinking in different time periods based upon where he had been. That way I could take that philosophy and and, you know, introduce it into the technique and you're going to get more out of it because you have a better understanding.
0: Well, that's very interesting. You said that. So, you know, you mentioned that there was a, a generation right before you started in 84. And this generation, that generation of people kind of went off to do their own thing. Um, the thing I see is, you know, as somebody like uh, Angel, as they get older Uh, they learn a whole lot more within their cells you know Mm -hmm. they learn how to kind of modify the art you know shorten things up to make it even more direct than what it already is you know so so you caught him you caught him at a good time probably to where you know obviously he's still hungry and everything but he's that much wiser and he's still physically able to do everything that he was able to do you know 15-20 years prior to that
1: that's correct you know, and that's great perception on your part uh, to be able to, you know, uh, see uh, that dynamic uh, that was taking place in his life at that particular time. You know, I hate to say it, but like even other influences I've had in the art, like going back to great grand professor uh, K.S. Chao uh, of the Chinese Kempo system, you know, a lot of these these great masters, uh, they passed away, you know. Extremely poor, uh, you know. They they actually had to condemn uh, Professor Child's home uh, because it was just so, you know, um, you know, degraded. It had fallen apart. Professor Child had gotten to the point he wouldn't even kill a cockroach. You know, he wouldn't kill any living thing. And and the thing is, is that he had many famous students, and and like Cobolus, he was very. <laughs> I hate to say it, but extremely disgruntled in the end because I guess he could see where he sh- in his way of thinking he should be based upon where he is uh, at that point and so you know being able to sit down again and listen uh, to the story and where he is or was at that time gave me even more of a stronger determination uh, to push his art forward because I could relate To exactly where he was coming from you know and 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 that's the thing jesse glover we mentioned him earlier he felt the same Mm -hmm. way you know i i I know more about bruce lee's art than these guys are talking about but you know (laughs) they're going to go with the flow you know wherever they think the glow is going to go they want to go in that direction they want the sparkle they want the shine and and one thing I learned about Angel Kabbalah that we had in great commonality is we are servants of the people. That's what we want to do. We want to empower those people with the knowledge that was bequeathed in a sacred way to us. And we want to pass that knowledge down, whether it's, you know, by way of art or by way of, you know, teaching self-defense, by way of working with law enforcement, this art has many directions that it has gone into. And and I pushed a lot of that forward.
0: Yeah. And in any martial art, but, um, you know, since this is an FMA show, um, I'll talk in terms of FMA. Um, like for me in my, in my art, you know, my base is Piketty Tertia. I feel mm-hmm. that as far as Piketty Tertia is concerned, there's like maybe five or six people in the world that I feel could actually Teach Piketty Tertia at a very high level, uh-huh. and 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 the reason for that, you know, well, hell, I'll go ahead and name names. I don't care. It's my show, you know. So <laughs> <laughs> I look at guys like Bill McGrath, you know, who yeah. spent who spent a lot of time with with uh, Leo, uh, Phil Galenis up in mm-hmm. Canada. He's he's he spent a lot of time from the seventies till you know r- currently. I that
1: name. Yes. Yeah.
0: And then outside of that, you have um, my teacher, Leslie Buck. Okay. Then, you ha- then you have um, Leo's nephew, Romel Tortal, who I've met before and trained with a, a handful of times. And then mm-hmm. and then from there, there's like this steep drop off. And, and it isn't a knock on any of the two the, uh, the Hans in that art or masters in that art. It's just that those guys that I mentioned, they've spent time with him outside of a training – and outside of just training in an event, and there might be others that I'm I'm missing, but those guys that I mentioned, those are the ones that I think of can articulate the art the best. And um, mm-hmm. I said all that to say this, you know, from the outside looking in at Serata, I know that there's you know the Ron Sartor, S- I, I I can't pronounce his name, but Saturno. I, I'm familiar yeah. with who he is. I know there's Darren Tubone, I know uh, Khalid Khan. That was like the first person I ever seen do serata, you know, way back in the infancy of the uh, Internet. And then uh, then you mentioned Sultan Udine. I've I've heard that name before. And then, you know, there's you, you know, and, and you spent a lot of private time with with him to where it was more. It was about more than just the martial arts you weren't just going there to hang out with him so that you could learn i'm pretty sure there were times you went over there and with the intention to train and he might not have felt like training he just wanted to talk <laughs> and you know, you know
1: sometimes you, yes yeah and and, you you and, know, but and you're correct yes, Yeah. yes we spent a lot of quality time actually you know we we became family you know my kids grew up with his kids you know the third generation of kids uh, well, I would say the second generation of kids because Angel was married uh, three times, you know, first wife, second wife, and then his latest or, or you know, his later wife. Um, but she, those kids, those are the kids that became contemporaries with my kids and they all grew up together. And so, you know, we go there and celebrate his birthday uh, you know, we just, you know, we do picnics, we do <laughs> workshops at the park, you know, like they're doing now. But uh-huh. yeah, just quality time together, you know, uh, time that that you and a good friend would spend, and 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 together, and that's how our actual relationship was, you know, besides the business aspect. Uh, we we were family. You know, we related to each other. We had old stories. We talked about things. You know, he told me about old friends and things in the Philippines. And it, it was beautiful. It was a great relationship to be able to extract uh, that type of relationship uh, and information out of Angel Kowalos. Because, he, you know, Angel, then, he wasn't open-minded like that with everybody. Uh, he wouldn't let people film him most of the time. You know, he was very you know, skeptical about anybody filming his art because he felt like there were those who were extracting his tactics and, and implement you know implementing into their own systems. And you know, I can I can I can agree with him to a great extent on those on those points and areas. But see, I always used to tell Angel that once you put something out there, it becomes public domain. And pretty much anybody is going to be able to extract your information. And so isn't the goal to expand the information in in whatever way it's going to get you out there? And he said, yeah, I agree with that. But I just want to make sure that they know my system, the one through 12. So I look at Angel like he had one foot in in contemporary times in the present time. But he also had one foot in ancient times where he came from. And so those times were, you know, very, you know, secretive uh, and and very closed door uh, because Angel told me, he said, you know, this art has only been passed down from family to family and, and it's always been kept that way. And, and, and so basically when Max Armiento talked him into bringing it out to the public eye, that was a monumental historical juncture point. Uh, in the history of FMA.
0: So, uh, again, you know, you you have more than just a surface level knowledge of the art. And, you know, you said earlier in the conversation that he pretty much charged you with, you know, taking the art and helping to propagate it around the world. Um, Did any, I guess, of your contemporaries or people that are involved in the system, did they have a problem with you being the one that was charged with that? And, you know, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Did anybody have a problem that it was you versus anybody else that could have been chosen?
1: (laughs) If it was me, then I didn't intend for it to be. But, (laughs) yeah, that's the way it came out. But I'll give you a good example. Uh, Going back to uh, trying to get the date right, but it'll come to me. Uh, But I got a call uh, from Stockton, California, from, from Angel. And, and he called me up and he said, uh, uh, I want you to come up to Stockton. He said, because, you know, uh, there are a lot of my students, um, that want to talk to you and, and they want to ask you some questions. And I said, well, I said, is it, is it that serious? So he said, yeah, well, just come up here. So, you know, when the grandmaster says, come, you come. So I, I went up and, um, for my recall, I uh, got over to Angels Apartment, uh Carlito Bonjock was there, Wade Williams was there, uh Sultan Udin, uh Carlito Bonjo, uh, all those gentlemen, I think I mentioned him, but um uh, there were an array of his students that were there. And and the thing was was like it was like, wow, you know, <laughs> I feel like I'm, you know, sitting sitting in a trial or something, you know. But I get there and um, Angel told me, he said, well, you know, some of my students just want to know what your intentions are with me. And, you know, are you just promoting me or are you promoting other you know, masters or, you know, what what is your primary? They want to ask you that. And I said, OK, well, finally. So so they asked me that question and they said, well, you know, are you just going to promote Angel or, or are you going to continue to, you know, uh, equate or, or promote him along with your other teachers, such as, you know, you talk about Imperato, uh, you talk about Professor Chow, you talk about Tony Ramos, you talk about Al Reyes and all these other people. But uh, are you just going to, is your interest specifically in promoting Angel Pabalas, you know, because, you know, that is our concern. We, you know, we want to know what your intentions are. So I looked at Angel and he looked at me and I said, first of all, Uh, you're a good example, brother Wade, wait, you work at a supermarket, you know, you work probably eight hours a day and that's what you do. And, and the thing that is going on with Angel and I is that he has a lack of income that he is trying to support his family with and so forth. And he's told me that if I could help him in those ways, then basically that is my purpose for being on board. My second purpose is, is that as an instructor in my own right, um, this is what I do 24/7. seven. I'm a commercial martial artist. I teach martial arts. That's what I do. And I do that as my business. So Angel's business is commercial martial arts right now. Mine is the same. And basically my job is to promote him in workshops and and, in television shows and any other media outlet that we can obtain in order to promote this art. And that's my job. I'm his PR uh, at this point, and he has elected me to be his co-businessman. So, you know, and, and you know what? Angel looked at all his students, and he said, you know what? From now on, the business between me and GMD is between me and GMD. You guys got nothing to do with it. So stay out of it. And And I really think... <laughs> That that meeting sort of created a great divide because Angel protected me in that situation by, you know, siding uh, with uh, basically my my statements, and and he said, yeah, you know, that's that's his mission. So you know, from now on, you guys have nothing to do with the business between me and GMD, and and we left it at that.
0: Yeah, and he and so he probably saw you as as somebody that was actually trying to help versus somebody trying to take advantage. You know, and that's uh, That's awesome. That's great. Yeah.
1: You know, I can't, can't speak, but what was in Angel's brain at that particular time, but I know that he was very concerned about, you know, his status financially, and he just didn't feel that it was ever going to happen in that way uh, in Stockton, California. He knew he had to venture out
0: that makes sense one person that i forgot to bring up and i don't know if you ever uh had an opportunity to be around him but the late great uh maha guru cliff stewart who i know spent a little bit of time uh with with angel uh back in the old days and i've talked about cliff a whole lot on this show uh because i i found out about him kind of later on right before he had passed away and Mm -hmm. uh it was just like wow you know a black Pindacar. <laughs> you know, you don't hear about those too often. <laughs> did you, did you ever have an opportunity to uh, train with Cliff or be around Cliff?
1: I, I've never trained uh, with the Immaculate Mahaguru Cliff Stewart, but I know him personally. Uh, talked to him many a times, but actually um, what had happened uh, as far as me uh, personally meeting uh, Cliff Stewart was by way of, of another African-American martial artist down in Southern California at the time uh, by the name of uh, master Bill Henderson. Henderson contacted me from Southern Cal to Northern Cal. Uh, He's a Southern Chinese Wing Chun stylist, Uh, but he knew uh, Graciela Casillas as well Mm -hmm. as Cliff Stewart and various other great masters down there. But uh, he had heard about me and he gave me a call and he said, I'd like for you to come down South. And so that we can talk and possibly co-promote uh, shows and seminars and so forth. And I'd like to introduce you uh, to uh, the uh, Immaculate Mahaguru Cliff Stewart, as well as Graciela Casillas. Just come on down. So I got I went down there. I flew down there and we got to know each other pretty well. We did some sparring, too. That was interesting. Uh, Wing Chun, Southern <laughs> Wing Chun versus Sarada Iskrema. That was <laughs> that was an interesting Kumite match. But make a long story short, uh, we put together uh, one of the first workshops on behalf of Grandmaster Angel Cabalas uh, because uh, he had introduced me to Graciela Casillas before Cliff Street, and she explained to me that she was no longer affiliated. Uh, with the Enosanto Academy uh, that somehow, you know, aggr- disagreements had formulated. So I'll just take it that far. But she said that she always wanted to meet uh, the gentleman that Danny Enosanto was always talking about, which was Angel Cabalas, And she knew that I was a representative for Angel at the time. So Bill Henderson introduced me to her. She told me her story. And I told her, I said, you know what? You don't even have to go that route. I'll introduce you directly to Angel Cabalas. And and she was very highly uh, elated about that. And how much would it cost me to, you know, I said, it's not going to cost you anything. That's not my job here. Uh, I'm not a body blocker. Uh, Angel needs finance. You, you work a deal out with him directly. My job is to bring you in direct contact. And so we set that up. And, and then from that point, I was introduced to Cliff Stewart. And that's how we all met, because Graciela uh, was working with Cliff Stewart's security agency at the time. Uh, I forget the name of it, but um, basically they, they, they were in partnership in some way. So he always had her back. And so Graciela finally made her move up to Stockton, California. Uh, I set it up and met her along with Angel Kabbalist at the Stockton Airport, International Airport. And that's where she began her first lessons with Angel Kabbalist. But going back to the, the great Cliff Stewart, that's how I met Cliff Stewart. Also, we met at the Angel Kabbalist workshop in Southern California that we and uh, had set up prior. And Cliff Stewart was there along with Professor Wally Jay, uh to basically witness Graciella receiving her advanced Kobala, Serrata Escrima degree. So yes, that's how I came in contact with Cliff. And then after that, a lot of lot of phone conversations.
0: Yeah, he's he was a solid dude from all accounts, you know, big and powerful, skilled, yeah. um <laughs> just an incredible human being. But we're awesome. coming to we're coming to the tail end yeah. of the interview. And I just want to thank you again for coming on. I know that everybody's going to enjoy uh, listening to this episode, but uh, towards the end of my shows, I like to have a little bit of fun. I have these lists and these, these formal questions. So the first one, three people dead or alive that you would want to train with.
1: Bruce Lee. (laughs) Um, Angel Cabalas again. And, and also uh, someone people don't really talk about uh but had a lot to do uh even before ed parker with the inception of martial arts in america bruce Techner. i read all of his books when i was a kid and and i'm not, I'm not sure if you're familiar with bruce Techner, but you know no. you go to the library he came out with everything uh jujitsu Jitsu, Escrima, aikido uh you know you name it uh French stick fighting. And and that was one of my nucleuses uh, for learning what I put together later. Uh, Bruce Tegner, he taught people like Lucille Ball uh, prior to Ed Parker and most of the Hollywood movie stars. James Cagney, you see some of those jujitsu moves. All that stuff comes from Bruce Tegner's books and, and Bruce Tegner.
0: So he would be the third. Wow. Bruce Tegner. I've never heard that name. Bruce I'm going to have to Google it. I'm going to have to Google him once we're done. Both um, definitely, yeah. The next question, you're going to have to help me with your answer. Okay. Is, it'll make sense once I ask, but who would you want to hear on the podcast? And whoever you choose, you'd have to have some type of connection with them to where you could basically hook us up to where I could get them on the show.
1: You know, a good uh, individual uh, to really uh, interview in, in my uh, personal opinion, um, just somebody that I feel really good about uh, would be Grandmaster Carlito Bonjot. Mm. The reason for that is he was at the time, um, you know, already disabled by way of his uh, disability with his legs. And I had a student uh, in my Northern California colleague screamer association, uh, who was also wheelchair uh, refined. Her name was Anna Marie. And so when I first met Angel Kabalos going back to 84, I was impressed with the fact that he was able to transition his art form over to someone who was disabled. And, and Carlito Bunjat moved faster than some of the cats that had two good legs. <laughs> and today, as you know, uh, he lost both legs but he is still one of angel Cabales's, uh I would call him angel students uh, you know special students because he wanted to quit his scream uh, once he knew that his legs were going to be removed but angel continued to encourage him and to tell him that hey even with no legs we're gonna we're gonna work out a modified form for you and so he would be a great. Uh, personality to interview um, Grandmaster Carlito Bonjoch.
0: I think I've seen him before. Um, he was on a video. He was at a conference. I want to say in 2019 in Las Vegas. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I remember seeing him. Or yeah. it was it was a gentleman, a Filipino gentleman that was in a wheelchair that was you know basically whooping ass. He he, he did look good. That
1: sounds like Carlito. Always call him Carlito's way. <laughs>
0: Well, we're going to get down to my famous 10 questions, and these are rapid fire. So, the first thing that comes to your mind, just go ahead and say it. All right. So, question number one What's your favorite weapons category?
1: Oh, my favorite weapons category uh, is the Bali song. You know, I like to use that short blade because number one, you can close it off and you can use it as a short stick. So, you don't have to be as lethal with it as, as you know, it can be. So, yes, the
0: Bali song. What's your least favorite?
1: My least favorite are are long and elongated, elongated weapons of any kind because to me uh, they are not practical in today's society. So you know, uh, broadswords, uh, anything that is you know that that length and over.
0: Okay, what do you love about the Filipino martial arts?
1: The adaptability. Uh the. That, that was my major attraction to Filipino martial arts in the first place. As you know, when you come out of traditional arts, uh, everything is set up a certain way. You have to go through these different categories and chambers to elevate. But, you know, the fact that, you know, Filipino martial arts is a practical system. You don't have to have a fancy uniform on in order to master the art. Uh, it is an urban art. It is an art of the people. It comes out of that. And it's adaptability is what attracted me and, and how you can go from weapons into empty hands. And, and so, yes, that is that was my major attraction. And that's what I like about FMA.
0: What turns you off about the FMA? Ah, uh, The politics, you
1: know, you're going to always have that. But, you know, it's just that, you know, I think uh, there are different dynamics uh, when you start to try to venture out. uh uh, into uh let's say big business and things of that nature sometimes uh people have a tendency to have what i call selective memory in other Mm -hmm. words they forget they forget where they come from and 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 i've never done that i've always told angel that long after you're gone angel uh you're still going to be riding side saddle with me and and that is true to this day but the politics you know the 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 you know, and many times it, I, it's not the It's not the masters that disagree. It's it's usually the students that are competing. But also, like I told Angel many years ago, I don't I didn't tell him anything. But what I shared with him is that you have to have some kind of protocol within the structure. Otherwise, you know, students won't know where the cutoff points
0: are. That makes sense. So the
1: politics. Yeah.
0: Okay, politics. So what do you love to do besides train?
1: Oh, music, dance, uh, innovate, write books, uh, create documentaries. Uh, I have a a company, small company called Checkpoint Productions, and I've produced several um, just interesting documentaries. Uh, They're not all based on martial arts per se, but the concept is there. Uh, I've covered people like Al Sharpton uh, in other areas. Uh, you know, just to go out as a newscaster and 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 basically absorb information within the community.
0: Mm, What do you hate?
1: Uh in regards to just in general. Oh, just in general. Oh, yeah, like asparagus
0: asparagus or whatever.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, worse. uh, I I don't I love asparagus, especially when you fry it. But I was going <laughs> to say, uh, what do I hate? I hate invincible ignorance. You know, uh, uh, you know what that is. That's, that's yeah. like you can, you can explain the, the intricacies of truth uh, about an issue or situation, or even if it's a technique, and you could demonstrate it, and you could show the effectiveness of it and make it work. But you will still have those who will be invincible, to convince so a a, a state of mind of invincible ignorance i hate that the most
0: we i just call those fools but the next (laughs) next question (laughs) (laughs) next question what's your favorite curse word oh my goodness
1: you know scheitzer you know because i spent a lot of time in germany and and scheitzer is just the equivalent of shit (laughs) Every time something goes wrong, shites, shites. You know, so if you ever hear that, that that's definitely German.
0: What martial art besides the Filipino martial arts would you like to try? You know, I've experienced uh, quite a few
1: uh, systems of martial arts, but um, I think, you know, going into more of the grappling, you know, MMA, you know, I can spend more time on that because, as you know, a lot of the. Uh, altercations, especially in the street, they're going to be close quarter. Uh, a lot of times you're going to end up on the ground. And, and that's where the Kabbalah Serata system of escrimmage can be more experimented, uh, with, uh, is in that direction. Uh, what do you do when you hit the ground? Uh, because these techniques are effective on, on the feet, uh, in terms of, you know, stand up fighting. But again, you know, what do you do? Uh, when you hit the ground. So I I would probably want to work more, uh, with the Gracie, uh, system of, uh, martial arts because it is effective and, and other systems similar, you know, grappling.
0: Okay. What martial art would you not want to try?
1: You know, I, I have to be honest with you. Any art that is putting, uh, unnecessary strain, uh, upon your ligaments, and 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 other areas of your body is not a good martial art as far as I'm concerned i had a, a a participant in one of my workshops in north hollywood uh going back into early 2000s and uh his brother uh is the gentleman who played in the movie called the best of the
0: best yeah uh, i remember that i was just watching that last night as a matter of fact yeah oh is that I, right I, yeah. yeah i i was I, one of these uh little funky uh apps i believe it was on tubi t-u-b-i okay and i saw i was like best of best okay let me see this bullshit ass yeah. martial arts movie <laughs> okay there you go and and and, that, and
1: and the brother in that film uh the one that had the um you know the patch on his eye uh yeah that's his, that's his brother and he came to one of my escrima workshops kabbalah serrata escrima workshops in northern california and his knees, his knees were extremely uh, messed up. I mean, you know, and he told me the reason they were that way were because he was doing overextensional type of kicks in order to make the film, uh, you know, footage look more accurate and more dynamic. He said, but the problem with Taekwondo, in his opinion, was too much overextension within the ligaments. So he was very leery of, about doing the Escrima. You know, he was really worried about overextended stances and those type of things. And I showed him that in serrada Escrima, serrada meaning close in Spanish and Escrima meaning quick skirmish. I told him our system is very tight. We don't overextend the ligaments and, and therefore you can get maximum power from economy of motion. And he experienced it and he fell in love with that art uh, because he didn't have to overextend his ligaments in that way in order to show uh, his prowess as a master within the art of Taekwondo. And, And he was older. And so, you know, the bones begin to change as you get older. Things that we could do when we were 18, 25, even 35, 40, 50, we have to modify and do them in a different way. And so Taekwondo would probably be the art that that I would most avoid. I do like some of their tactics, by the way, and I still use them, you know, like that spinning hook kick that comes from the rear. That's beautiful. (laughs) And it works.
0: Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's a young man's art. Last question. When it's all said and done, what do you want your martial legacy to be?
1: You know, uh, basically that, you know, we passed the art down. Uh, from one generation to the other, and that I stand on the shoulders of legends before me, and and that I did not just get here by accident. But, you know, let that legacy be for not all the communities of the martial art world, but my message is this, you know, let's give something back to the community. And, And so my direction now is basically doing just that, you know, empowering uh, the common people, uh, and and let that fall down to them. They're going to continue to keep it going. So my legacy is to keep it going, to keep it flowing, stay focused, and keep it flowing. Uh, that's my model.
0: That's great. That's great. Well, it's been real, Grandmaster D. I, I appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, do you have any contact information if people want to look at your work or once things get better, uh, how how they can get in touch with you? To, yeah, you know, training?
1: definitely. Yes. You know, they can go
0: to the uh, uh,
1: website. They can go to Facebook and, and you know, our site is titled John Wong. Now, I want to clarify that. John Wong was my Wuxing Tai Chi Shuan teacher. Uh, he was my personal Mr. Miyagi. He was one of those archetypes uh, that came from Hawaii, uh, from the sacred system of Lua. Uh, he was a Lua master, but also he held the seal. Uh, for the Kaju Kimball system. Everybody had to go through him back in the 60s, but he became a personal mentor of mine. And and he, to this day, always reminds me that death is but a transition in time. And, and I asked him, why do you always say that, uh, John Wong? And he said, he said, you know, I can do more outside this body than I can inside this body. And mm-hmm. so I can't wait to hit the spirit world. But I named my uh, Facebook site after him, so it's called John Wong. Uh, But for those who are not aware of that, uh, when you see Maha Guru SGMD, Maha just simply means in in a Sanskrit Hindi language, great. Uh, Guru, as you know, is the Sanskrit, which means teacher or pointer of the way. And SGMD, the S is senior, G is grand, and the M is master. And the last part is D, Mahaguru S-G-M-D, and the D is for uh, Davis.
0: Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show, man. Uh, You take care, and we'll be in contact soon.
1: Well, thank you for your time. And uh, again, to you and all of your family, uh, blessings abound. And again, my brother, happy, happy Father's Day.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our show. Subscribe, rate, share, leave a review and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at South Texas Collie. Until next time, stay safe and train hard. Peace.